Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between. With your host, Barry Kirby. And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. I'm laughing slightly because I've just been playing around with a new gadget and actually been playing the intro before the start of a, um, a recording session where normally I would cut in afterwards. Um, this podcast is a bit special for me because actually it's going to be the furthest we've ever had uh, have a guest come in. Um, and it's a, um, a gentleman who I used to work with in um, early on in my career. So it's a it's actually a real delight to be able to catch up with somebody. Um, so I want to introduce you all to um, Cal Bridges. Welcome, Cal. Thank you. Nice to see you uh, again, mate. Yes, it's it's been it has been way too long. Um, Carl is the director of HFX, which is a human factors consultancy based out in New Zealand, and that's where he's talking to us uh, today. He's a um, a member of the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society of New Zealand, where he's also been a past president, and he's also a fellow of the uh, the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors here in the UK. So thank you very much for making time um to chat to me today it's absolutely fantastic it's uh must, it must be early in the morning for you at the moment is that right uh it's nine o'clock nine well, that's still in the morning early. in the morning yes yes, yes. It so takes for, getting for used the, to <laughs> so, but it took some organizations so it's eight o'clock in the evening here and tried to work out exactly where we were in the calendar i actually had to do maths um which is not my strongest point and it um, changes throughout the year as well yeah, see, that's just cheating and not helpful. Um, so, um, but no, it's it's absolutely fantastic to catch up. Um, so, for um, for the audience, could you just give us a a quick rundown on what it is you're doing now? So, what, what's your current role and um, and what do you get up to? Okay, um, so I run a, as as Barry's already said, I run a company called HFX Limited, and uh, so we're a, we're a human factors consultancy that's uh, based in Auckland and uh, I've got I've got consultants dotted all over the country uh, also a couple of news in um, Australia and uh, there, a lot of the work a lot of the work that we are doing at the moment is is that I suppose it's focused if you can imagine um, a general project life cycle we're, we're very much focused on I suppose the the um, more often than not the testing side of things so okay. um, so usually we uh, get called in to either you know test new technology that's that's already been deployed, which is not ideal, obviously. Um, or um, we may well be going in possibly um, more requirements, I suppose, ish maybe okay. pre-requirements, looking at gaps analyses. You know, if they're if they're looking at kicking off a project, that's ge that's generally the, the the bulk of the. Um, the area of where we are. That being said, though, I mean, I'm, um, I, I can't go into too much detail about it, but I'm working on a pretty exciting project at the moment where we have been involved very much from day one. Um, and we've actually had the opportunity to do some rapid prototyping, some testing, and we're just in the process now of, uh, of just kicking off like the final, I suppose, main trial of the new technology and its effectiveness. So, well, so generally, a, it, can a, be quite, it can be quite varied. Uh, but, I was going to say, yeah. that's quite a rarity, isn't it, to pick up the... Um, a project right from the beginning as much as we uh, yes. preach and um, evangelize about human factors should be throughout it is still more uh, much more rare than than i would like yeah yeah i agree yeah so before we get stuck into the sort of projects you're getting into and all that type of thing um we are talking and it, uh, through uh, still through the pandemic it's still mm -hmm. um kicking around but obviously new zealand has been um 
Um, you've dealt with it in a very different way to many of the other countries. Um, obviously, you personally, you clearly have done all this, but <laughs> you know the the country as a whole, you've um, uh, you've dealt with it very differently. How have you found working through COVID? Um, I found it extremely hard, and and I don't think that there's many of us human factors people in New Zealand that that have had an easy ride from it all. Um, I can't speak for everybody. Um, but uh, personally, um, what I found was a lot of projects got uh, cancelled, um, a lot of projects got delayed, um, and that was not necess- that didn't necessarily affect me too badly because um, they hadn't actually started. So in some cases, it might have been a an opportunity that was in the pipeline. All we needed really was the name on the dotted line, and that name never came um so so really for me i don't tend to um think that we've got work until i know that name's on the dotted line because i've learned over the years that you can think that you've got something and then right at the 11th hour somebody changes their mind or some corporate decisions made that's out of your control so so for me that wasn't too much an impact um what was the bigger impact for for my business was the in-flight projects that we had that slowed down so right. what that meant is because they slowed down we were doing less work there was less revenue coming into the business and so i suppose the i mean the revenue uh, dropped quite considerably and um and you know i i think there's been quite my I, we were treading water for a bit and mm-hmm. um and, and i know that there's a few other businesses that were treading water some of them uh some businesses decided to stop uh trading uh in their services but We've managed to pull through now and and it's looking really good now it's re- things have really started to pick up um so yeah it's it was um it was hard but we got we got we got through it so there is light at the end of the tunnel now and um projects yes. are starting to pick up again absolutely that's, that's good absolutely got quite a lot of work on now uh yes it's 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 i guess it's the what we have as a, I guess, smaller businesses, isn't it? It's a, in many ways, it, it can be a bit of feast or famine. Yes. Um, so, and then with a lot of things out of your control. Um, but how has it been, so outside of the business, how has it been as just generally as a person living through COVID um, in, in New Zealand? Um, it's, it's, it's been, it, it's been easy. It's been easy and hard, really. Um, the, we took some pretty uh, quick decisions at the at the um, at the beginning. You know, everybody pretty much went into lockdown, and um, it was a it was a bit it was quite weird at the beginning because nobody had really well my generation had never had to do that before. Yes. Um, yeah. And so you know we went from I mean I I I operate my business from a home office mm-hmm. um, just simply because. I think it's better than a, a normal office. We've got the technology. Why not use it? Um, so the um, I went from a quiet working environment to all of a sudden having everyone in the household either oh, course, school yeah. or working. And so bearing in mind, I was having to focus on keeping the business going during a very difficult time. There was also the the disturbances associated with family that, um, and it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Um, my, I mean, you know, everybody everybody you know knuckled down and just got on with it. 
um, it was just it was just a very, very weird time and it, it took a bit of getting used to it. I know that some other families really struggled um, to, uh, you know, at the time I was working on the contracts and there was other there was people in my team that were um, that were really struggling. Um, but everybody pulled through. And, and the thing is, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're in a situation now which is quite different, I believe, to the UK where, you know, effectively we can walk down the streets and, it, and it's, you know, apart from maybe the slight increase in mask usage and obviously we've got a, a cell phone app that we have to scan. Uh, it's almost life is back to normal. And, right, okay. and a lot of that is probably due to the, uh, mainly due to the quick decisions that were made, which weren't entirely popular at the time, I will say. But also that we're a less, way less populated, densely populated country like the UK or like the US. Um, but it's, uh, and occasionally we will go into these momentary periods of lockdown. I mean, at the moment we have uh, four levels of lockdown, um, and and we're in we're in level two at the moment, um, okay. which kind of controls the amount of people that can be in the in the same room at the same time, uh, amongst a few other bits and pieces. Um, but we'll constantly, you know, we'll have, I mean, so now what happens is that we'll have um, COVID cases of uh, like single digits every day. So we'll have like two or three cases and they're in managed isolation. So that's people that flown into the country and that's it. So and you compare that to the UK's experience where I think you guys are having thousands per day, if I remember rightly. Yeah, um, yeah. It is a bit, it's, yeah, but we're, we're, doing, we're doing a lot better now than we were earlier. So. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I mean, like you say, we we've we're still in, in lockdown level four at the moment. Um, Wales and England, because for some interesting reasons, have the uh, they're slightly different um, uh, barriers. Um, but we've been in lockdown now since since December, um, mm-hmm. and so we kind of hoping, fingers crossed, that um, the, the, this this coming Friday, then uh, we might get some let up and allow um, maybe some some level of meeting up. But we'll. We'll see. It's it's been interesting though around the world. I think how different people have managed it and how different cultures and things have have also managed it. I think it's um, there's going to be some interesting research done. I think uh, with the data afterwards, um, mm. just on on human behaviour and things like that. I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's um, it's weird because it's situations like this, um, uh, particularly COVID. I, I think have actually that brought out the. Um, the best of people and also the worst of people. Yes. So I couldn't agree with you more, Barry. I mean, it's yeah, it's going to be some really interesting uh, research. Yeah, come into human behaviour. And... So, so let's talk about you for a bit, um, and particularly how you got to kind of kind of where you are. Um, I mean, obviously, you've been a human factors practitioner for for quite a while now. Um, how did it all start for you? How did you get into into human factors and and, and why? Um, so at the time I was working in mental health, uh, I was actually working, um, in social services in Worcestershire in the UK mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I was working, uh, with quite a few community mental health teams around the Worcestershire County. I'd got a psychology degree and I thought at the time that I, that I wanted to be a counsellor. Um, right. into like, psychodynamic counselling. I quickly realised <laughs> I wasn't a very good counsellor because <laughs> uh, I was too opinionated. Um, and um, so I I realised that it, it probably wasn't for me. And and 
I was looking at trying to work out where I wanted to go from a postgraduate point of view. So I started looking at uh, postgraduate uh, master's degrees in um, uh, public service. Uh, no, what was it? No, it was it was sorry, it was organizational psychology in in local government or something like that. Okay. I was looking at that. And 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 I literally just came across this course called Human Factors, and I started reading up about it. And and it was a course that was being hold, held at Cranfield University, and it had psychology, which I was really into. It had aircraft, which I was really really <laughs> interested in, and had a little bit of military in there. And 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 it was just it was just literally it was perfect. So I decided to do that course, but it, the the only problem was it's that it was a full time course, and I had to leave my current job. And uh, mm -hmm. so we worked, you know, calculated all the, the you know, whether it could do it or not, and we um, uh, worked out that we could. Um, probably helped by the fact that I got a, um, a a grant from the Economic Social Research Council. Okay, I think that's right. Yes, I say was it anyway. Um, so I did that did the course and um, and then after I after I finished the uh, doing the doing the master's course, I then went through a period of um, being unemployed for about nine months looking for jobs and I was in that circle that I think a lot of graduates face in possibly in the UK and definitely in New Zealand, particularly in, with human factors, is that you've got the situation where everybody's screaming out for experienced human factors professionals and all the students can't get the experience because they yeah. uh, they don't have that because they can't get the jobs so it's this vicious circle that goes on and i know it's particularly bad in australia in i think it's sydney and melbourne um that that's that in a situation like that as well so uh thankfully um i got a i, I got a job um if you're uh, laird evans he um mm -hmm. he gave me the job at bae uh, thank you, Laird, if you watch this, because I know you're still involved with the Chartered Institute. Um, and uh, and so that really started my career in human factors. And I was there for about nine months, um, nine, 12 months. And then I um, uh, looked at the possibility of extending my career into the New Zealand Air Force. Um, right. Primarily because not, why the New Zealand Air Force and not the British? Um, was purely because of age, because the RAF actually had an upper, upper age limit and I wanted yes. to continue. And that kicked off one of the most expensive job interviews I've ever done in my life, uh, <laughs> because I had to pay for my own flight to New Zealand to take part in their officer's, officer's selection weekend, uh, week, sorry, not weekend. Um, ended up not getting it, which I wasn't happy about, because I'm not gonna go into detail, but the reasons were a bit, you know, <laughs> wasn't happy, wasn't happy. Yeah. But I decided, well, that's not going to stop me. Um, I've got my heart set on New Zealand and I immigrated to New Zealand. Um, and I managed to land a, a fixed term contract with uh, one of the universities here looking at working in um, fatigue, fatigue and sleepiness. Mm -hmm. um, and then that contract came to an end. And then I started um, about five years working as a project manager. And re and that kind of moved me away from human factors for quite a bit, quite a bit. And I just really wanted to get back into that career. And an opportunity came up, and um, I worked in a consultancy then for two uh, for a year, two years. And and at that point, I decided, well, I think now's the time for me to start my own business, um, and because I could see the industry growing, and I knew that I had uh, some skills that uh, I currently had, and some skills I wanted to build on. And uh, and the rest is history. 
That's fantastic. I mean, it, it just goes to show how, A, you don't need to have started to do the, you know, your initial education in human factors whatsoever, but you can you can pick it up. I mean, you, you're you not too dissimilar from myself that you started doing one thing and then almost fallen across human factors and then going, oh, that sounds that sounds interesting. Um, and then followed it up. It's um, and then to get to have done what you've done. I mean, even in your first role, if I recall correctly, didn't you get you, you got a chairman's award and stuff like that because you were involved in some of the oh, Eurofighter yeah. trials? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, them them sort of things. So happy days. Really sort of, well, yeah, <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, that project. <laughs> the days when you could when you play with aircraft and stuff. It's um, they're, they're few and far between at the moment. Um, this podcast is supported by K-Sharp, the human science research and human factors consultancy. If you want to know how innovating in the relationship between humans and technology can add value to your business, product, or research, then visit www.ksharp.co.uk. But then also with, with your time in, like I say, in, in, in New Zealand, you've also, um, you've been uh, president of the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society um, in New Zealand. So, um, how was that? How, how was that? So that was what a few, a couple of years ago now. Um, oh, um, possibly six, seven years ago, I think. I'm guessing. So that's. Um, oh that, no, that, that, no, it might have been more than that. It might have been about eight or nine years ago. Eight or nine years ago, I think it was. This is when we sort of realise just how long we've been in the business and, and yeah. time flies, doesn't how, it? How, how um, old do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so how, but how did you find that? How Because um, that must have been, again, because you're representing the organisation that, at that point, aren't you? You're basically the, yeah. the, the person for, for human factors. What, what sort of opportunities did that give you? Um, well, you know what I said about um, my background originally was in counselling and how I realised I could make a very good counsellor. <laughs> Well, I think I, at that point in time, I realised that I wouldn't make a very good president. Um, we did we did achieve some good things. Um, it was during the time when uh, we changed the name of the society. Um, originally, this society was called the New Zealand Ergonomic Society. Mm-hmm. And I'd had a little bit of a hissy fit over that because um, one of the challenges that I always found is that generally um, I'm very much a, a psychology cognition kind of person and I always found that even the the UK's and the New Zealand's ergonomic societies were very much focused on physical ergonomics and I was really keen for for us to be a bit more holistic um, because I was finding I was getting a lot more out of the Americans HFES um, society because they seemed to be a bit a lot more holistic at the time Um, so I'd kicked up a bit of a hissy fit and um, and wanted to change the name and uh, and eventually uh, people started to buy into it and and managed to just um, start the process really. Uh, okay. So in that respect, you know, I was quite happy to have that uh, small achievement. Um, but one of the things that I realised at the time was that I, um, I, I, because of the time that I spent as a project manager, I kind of did it almost in the form of a project, which wasn't right. a good thing. Um, and and it, it you know it I know it rubbed a few people up the wrong way so um, I came out of it pretty burnt out I'd had quite a few um, major 
family issues at the time. Um, my daughter, uh, um, we thought she had a bit of a heart problem, so uh, she was going in and out of hospital. It was just a murmur in the end, which was which was a good thing, um, and that's all sorted now. Um, so, um, so we had that on, uh, and a few other bits and pieces were going on as well at the time. So it was it was a very very difficult time, but. You know, as I said, I mean, for me, it was a lesson learned that, you know, I, I don't make a very good president. I'm still involved with the committee. Um, I'm good. the treasurer. I'm the treasurer of the society at the moment, um, which is a lot easier because you're just dealing with numbers. It's weird. I'm not dealing with people and I work in human factors. So it's, you know, it's but it's but obviously it's a, different, it's a different area. But but it was, um, you know, it, it was a very interesting time. And it, it then it was a very different society as well. Um, we've had uh, uh, we've gone through quite a significant amount of transformation, um, and I think really a lot of that is down to uh, two people that I want to give a real good, you know, a real big shout out to, and that's uh, Marion Edwin and Hamish Mackey. Um, that I think those two have, have done a real good job on getting the society to where it is now, and that's not in any way to um, uh, not consider or acknowledge all the other. Uh, people that have um, uh, who have volunteered their time to uh, get involved with the committee. Um, you know, the, there's a. I think it's the same in the in the UK. I mean, I, I think that really, if anybody has the opportunity to to volunteer some of their time into into their professional societies committee, I, I cannot urge enough how important it is for them to do so because they will learn a lot. They will they will learn a lot about the different people that that work in the industry. Um, and it also helps, I suppose, future-proof and help um, the professionalize that, the professionalism of the of the work that we do. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it was a, it was a bit of a ride, shall we say? It, <laughs> it was. So it's uh, but it sounds like you really sort of uh, gripped it for want of a better expression. You sort of knew what knew what you're doing, uh, or knew what you wanted out of it. But knew what I wanted I, out of it. I'm not too sure about knew what I was doing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> but then does anybody I mean, it's interesting though isn't it when you look at these sort of volunteer positions so um so i currently sit on the um on, on the chat institute's um council or board of trustees and you sort of go in there with the idea of uh, right i want to do something um i want to contribute because you know the institute helped me an awful lot and, and that type of thing and you want to give something back and and then you get there and you're like well okay what do i do now um and so it's i don't, there's never a rule book for this type of thing um, I think you've just got to go with um, your gut instinct of what you think is right. That's, um, that's, and I think that's where the value is. Yeah, and that's a good thing because what that does then is it gets it forces people to get into an innovative frame of mind. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have all this fresh blood that comes comes into a committee or, or a board um, and uh, they come in full of ideas. And so long as the so long as the culture within that team is sufficient to encourage ideas and not dampen them down because we want to keep things as they are the one once quick kids dead scrub if if people encourage that then then it really is a it really is a great a great environment for for innovation for change for growth um it's you know so so i'm glad there isn't a rule book i, li I yes, like yeah. i like that moment of blundering and trying to figure out your place <laughs> and what you need to do it's you know i i used to be quite adverse to that but now i'm uh I think that that certainly from an innovation point of view, I think that I think it's great. It's the uh, the opportunity to ask the awkward question that uh, yes. that nobody wants to ask and things like that, which um, sometimes I, I I quite enjoy doing. 
Um, so what sort of, so with, with the sort of projects you're doing now, um, and obviously respecting co uh, co uh, commercial um, things and things like that, what sort of project are you getting involved with? Are, are you, uh, what sort of, I don't know, vehicles or systems or, or that sort of thing? What, what, what's, what, what takes your fancy? Um, so a lot of the work that uh, we have been doing since the business started about eight years ago, I think it was. I should know that. Um, a lot of the work that we do is rail. So right, okay. the um, and I think that uh, a lot of this is is indicative of the the difference in um, industries. So between the UK, some of the large countries like UK, US, or Australia, uh, we have a quite a small manufacturing industry. I mean, we obviously manufacture stuff, we build stuff here, but um, it's quite small in comparison. So you don't find big like um, car plants, uh, car manufacturing plants, or like Toyota or Ford or General Motors. Uh, you don't have that here, so we don't get that opportunity to get involved in that sort of work. Um, a lot of the work seems to be uh, a lot of the no, a lot of the intellectual property, I suppose, seems to be um, uh, imported. Okay, I don't know if that's yeah. the right word or best yeah. description, but we tend to see what happens in other countries and then bring it into New Zealand, do a few things, and then make it work in New Zealand. Um, okay. And and by that time, it's already been. You know, it's already been tested for usability, human factors, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, so so a lot of the work we do is, is with the uh, is with the, the current infrastructure that exists. Um, so it's rail. Uh, I don't tend to get too involved with uh, road transport um, because I'm mindful of the fact that there are other consultancies in New Zealand that do that and that we try to you know to some extent try to not tread on each other's feet um yeah, yeah. you know just so that we you know because it is a small country um and we are uh, you know when when you're dealing with economies of scale there's a lot less money that's going around and there's a lot less business opportunities um like in some countries where they're screaming for human factors people um and uh as well as that though i also do a lot of work with um focusing on control rooms Okay. Um, so uh, SCADA systems, um, you know, just uh, general layouts. Uh, sometimes it's building a new control room, and they want they want some human factors requirements. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so it's it's that those are the main things. But then there's other, you know, individual contracts that are, you know, I mean, I might do a little bit on manufacturing. I might do a little bit yeah. on innovation. Um, you know. Um, Patent pending stuff, that's that sort of thing. So, oh, cool. So, so there's, there's definitely a variety there. So, to keep you interested. Yeah. Oh, yes. Cool. Yeah. So, you've sort of said that there are a few practitioners out there, um, a number of practitioners. Um, just how popular is human factors in New Zealand? Because obviously, you well, you know as well as I in the UK, it's um, in the military. It's supposed supposedly, you know, they 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 have to do it, or they certainly should do it. Um, you know, on gas and things. But actually, outside of that, it's we still um, uh, eulogising about. We're still trying to spread the good word. What's mm. it like in New Zealand? Are, are they completely bought into it? Are you still trying to um, it, break that market? That, that that's that's a really good question because that's been a journey. And when I first started uh, my consultancy eight or nine years ago, whenever it was, the um, it was very new. I knew that there was it was starting to increase because I'd just done some work in consultancy and I could see there was a bit of a need there. Mm -hmm. um, move forward to present day, very, very different. 
um, very, very different scenery now. Um, we, uh, we are now seeing more job opportunities come up. Um, and it's a lot of the job opportunities are coming from um, safety related organizations. Okay. So we now have a human factors team, uh, a human factors people working in uh, WorkSafe. So that's New Zealand's equivalent of, I suppose, the health and safety executive. Yeah. Okay. That's new. Can you believe that? Um, but we've now got we've now got people working in there, uh, particularly around safety by design um, and also uh, around health um, and injury prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, yet to see any any uh, uh, cognitive um human factors people going in there but that's fine that's fine i know that the people in there have, have definitely got a, a good grasp on that aspect of, it, of human factors yeah, yeah. so that's fine uh we've now we've we've had for quite a few years um uh, uh, human factors people working in our civil aviation authority and literally yesterday i noticed a job advertisement uh for maritime new zealand um right. that's going to be interesting because they're actually asking for people with a maritime background, maritime experience. So if there's anybody in the UK that wants to come over to New Zealand, look for Maritime New Zealand. They've got a job in human factors. Um, but the, um, but the, I suppose the most significant thing, Barry, is that um, our, like I said, our health and safety executive, WorkSafe New Zealand, have, have, um, have actually funded the society, uh, have provided okay. funding for the society to, to grow. Um, so they've actually given us quite a bit of money to, to uh, look at things like competencies, um, let's get this right, education, because at the moment New Zealand, New Zealand does not have a postgraduate human factors course. So they've actually given wow, us funding okay. to work with universities to set that up. Uh, mentoring, uh, scholarships, and also trying to um, raise awareness through networking with industry about the importance of human factors. And they've actually funded that for us, which is a very significant thing for the society. Um, We've also seen, um, you guys probably heard about the Pike River uh, mining disaster that happened quite a few years ago, which which, um, caused a major shakeup in our health and safety industry. And one of the things that uh, came up through, I suppose, the review that was done by government at the time was the amount of health and safety professionals that weren't really that well skilled or knowledgeable. Um, and so they set up this organization, they, they uh, I suppose, kicked off this organization called HAZANS, which stands right. for Health and Safety Associations of New Zealand. And uh, what they did is they, they went out to uh, all the different professional societies in New Zealand um, that touched on health and safety, one of them being the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society of New Zealand. And basically uh, uh, worked with them to to come together to um, make sure that the the uh, standards of professionalising and certifying people uh, was was at a good level, that the pe- that the right people were getting through and getting accepted, and then on top of that to um, to to set up I suppose a directory of names um, uh, of, of suitably qualified people and the skills that they actually can offer to different customers. And, and so we've seen all this happen over the past eight, ten years or so. Um, right. And and it was just, it, it's been it's been pretty transformational. And and so now we're seeing, as I said, job advertisements popping up. Um, and we, there was another one not too long ago um, working for another organisation, which is an offshoot of WorkSafe called the Construction Health and Safety New Zealand, um, which right. is basically like, a, it's almost, a, to try and put this in UK terms, it'd be like an offshoot of, 
health and safety executive, but they focus very much on construction safety and they were asking yeah. for human factors and ergonomics people. So it's been amazing. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that, you know, we've got too much work and the, there's a skill shortage. I mean, there might potentially be, but it's um, but it, it's it's amazing just seeing how how much it's grown over the, over a relatively short period of time and hopefully it'll continue to do so. I'd say it must be so fascinating to see it be uh, yeah growing that way and that demand go from practically zero to tangible. Um, you know, so people actually you're not having to push it down people's throats; they're actually coming and, and asking for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that that must be amazing. If you are a human factors practitioner or in a related discipline and are not already a member, then do look up the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. They are the professional institution for all human factors practitioners. Find them at www.ergonomics.org.uk. But it is quite interesting what you said about this. There's no, uh, there's still no postgraduate courses. Does that mean that most of the practitioners have have to come in from um, after you know basically come in from uh, different countries, or is uh, it so? Is there no homegrown talent, so to speak, or is that all just undergrad courses? Well, there is homegrown talent, um, and there are some courses. Um, I suppose when I said there's no courses, maybe that's not strictly correct. There's there's a small there's a number of universities around New Zealand yeah. um, that offer a variety of different courses where it'll be things like cognitive psychology or a psychology postgraduate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's some people that will do um, say human factors in aviation. Uh, but it'll be like it'll be just like a single paper or single module. Yeah. Um, when okay. I said that there's no, maybe that's not strictly right, correct. When I said that there's no homegrown courses, what I'm uh, no courses. What I'm talking about is that there's no there's no course in New Zealand at the moment that can be that somebody could go on, and then with the confidence of knowing that that will meet the educational requirements yes. to yeah. get the certification they need through the New Zealand's Human Factors and Economics Society. So there are papers that people can um, go through. And I, and I will say, I mean, I've, I've personally uh, employed um, a number of students that have come from um, uh, Auckland University and um, Waikato and also um, um, Otago, sorry. <laughs> God. Uh, so the University of Otago. Um, just primarily so that they can get on that ladder, um, because yeah. as I said earlier, you know, when I when I graduated, I was I was I, I was unemployed for nine months and it was awful. And I actually had a, uh, uh, my wife had a child at the time. Uh, we, we sorry, we had a child come in at the time, and uh, and so it was particularly stressful a stressful time for us. Um, and so the um, so I I really want you know in, uh, I really want to make sure that you know uh, uh, to the best of my abilities. Um, make sure the students can don't have to go through what I had to go through. So any opportunity to get the, get the students from some of the courses that may not necessarily meet the need of the society to give them the opportunity to get the skills so that then they can go off and, you know, give them that springboard, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, and but yeah, it's um, yeah, we, we had a, we did have a course about I think it was about, I don't know, no, probably about five, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe, maybe longer than that. Um, and unfortunately, the uh, once the professor had retired, it seemed that the course sort of like 
dissolved really yeah. in the university and we, we lost that i suppose that gateway um, yeah. into professionalizing so it was a pretty bad time but i think things that things are going to change because as i said um we've got this funding now and and um i'm not too sure whether i should say anything but i i, I know that there is a university that is is working on that course okay i don't know whether i can actually say which university but i know there is one that's working on it so oh that's really really positive that that's really yep. good there's a um, certainly drive in the uk to um look at how we get more uh, more graduate um human factors people because we we don't really have many if any now um graduate um, undergraduate courses for human factors they're all um post-grad um or like you say um, folded into other courses so i guess we're in a fairly similar situation as well mm. um obviously a couple of years ago you um you became a fellow of the chartered institute of ergonomics and human factors as well in the uk um why did you given that you you know you're very well established in in new zealand now and clearly on that um on that leading edge of 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 that wave why did you feel it was um useful or beneficial to come back with the chat institute and and get involved uh, that way um i think that the it's a really good question again um <laughs> the, i think that the that's fine it's fine um uh, the i think that the the reason was when i this is going when i graduated in the uk um obviously the one of the first things i did was look at the um the uk's ergonomic society i think it was called at the time um and the um it felt very much like i was down here and certification or chartership or whatever you registration was right the way up here right and so i remember when i started at bae and i started straight away doing my logbook and and Laird actually helped me out with that. That became absolutely invaluable for my New Zealand certification, which was great. Um, and but I felt like I was a million miles away from it. Right. And then so uh, and it, I dare I say, actually almost felt unachievable. I have to say. Okay. Um, now things may have changed now because um, this was quite a few years ago. And then of course I came to New Zealand. I did uh, start to get more and more involved into human factors um, and I decided to take it and it felt very much like a chance at getting registered and certified in New Zealand and so and I got it I couldn't believe it mm -hmm. I was actually advised just to become like an associate so which is kind of like a um, a, a, a level where you almost there almost at the full certification, but there's something in your application that doesn't meet the criteria, whether it's education or experience and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I thought, no, I'll go for it. I'll go for the full registration. And I got it and I was absolutely over the moon about it. Um, and so with that came a little bit of confidence um, in the in the, in the the things that I was doing. And, uh, and I suppose as you, one of the things that I found in, uh, in running a business, being self-employed, and I, I suspect you're the same, Barry, is that you get into a situation where you have to throw yourself into into places that you throw yourself into places that are outside your comfort zone and that yeah. could be like you know presenting in front of hundreds of people going and speaking to a a, a chief executive officer or a board uh, to try and get work or to get them to buy into the whole human factors thing and 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 that builds up your confidence as well and then when people start to come to you and um, start to acknowledge the fact that you are registered and certified you know i thought well I must 
God forbid, I must actually have credibility here. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, you know, why not? Why not step this up? And and I, I don't know. I, I still feel that there's part of me that's still in the UK, and so I really wanted to to keep those ties going. Um, it uh, well, no, actually, no, not keep them going. Actually, re get that connection back because once yeah. I moved to New Zealand, I I really didn't continue my membership with this with the UK society. So I got I, I got back and um, and got more involved. Um, and just decided, well, you know, maybe I, I could actually, I've got the number of years to be a fellow and I, I've got the, the bits and pieces to meet the, um, the, the registration requirements. And, and, and so I went for it and, and I got that. And so for me, um, I think it is about, I think it's, a, you know, maybe there is a little bit of an ego trip there. Um, but also it's about, uh, just making, uh, my current and future customers realize that you know that, that there is a skill set there is a I do have a bit of credibility behind me um if only they knew the truth but seriously no the um it was just about making sure that that you know I, I uh, they realized that I I knew my stuff and that um I can do what I say I can do uh, um and I've got some societies that back me up on that th through the through the certifications. So. If you are new to human factors and ergonomics, you might be wondering exactly what it is. In a nutshell, human factors is the study of how humans behave physically and psychologically in relation to particular environments, products, or services. As you will no doubt realize, that means human factors practitioners can add value to almost any project because they all involve people. The trick is getting that value as early in the project as you can because it ends up being much cheaper than fixing the issues later on. I mean, I know it's something we talked on a uh, LinkedIn on um, quite a while ago now um, mm. about imposter syndrome. Um, and mm. I, th I thought it was that's I think that's kind of what started this conversation a while ago, didn't it? Because the it's certainly something that what you're talking about there is, you know, are you good enough? That type of thing um, I absolutely relate to. Because certainly when I first started in human factors, my background isn't human factors, it was command and control. And then you, you're feeling like you're constantly having to prove yourself. Um, and, mm. you know, like going for certain jobs, you know, you, you, you win a contract. You know, you, I, I sort of go, and I don't know if you feel this, but I sort of go through a, yes, I've won, won that work, I've won that contract, that's some security. Why did they pick me? What happens if I don't live, live up to the standard? What happens if I don't deliver properly? Mm. Um, you know, and that, and that sort of stuff all the time. And, you know, when I applied to be a fellow and um, and I got it and I, it was very much of that. Yes, I've, I've met that standard that that means that I'm good enough. I like that. What happens if they got it wrong, though? What happens if I'm not entirely what the, what they, you know, it, I, yeah. I, I, I constantly have that going. I don't know whether that resounds with you at all. Well, well, um, as you as you as you probably know, I've just finished uh, getting my PhD mm -hmm. and um, and nothing teaches you more about a sense of imposter syndrome than doing a PhD. <laughs> um, and certainly on the lead up to my oral examination, I think you call it the Viva over in the UK, um, I really had that strong sense of, of imposter syndrome. And I remember the many conversations that I had with my uh, supervisor, um, Associate Professor Paul Corbelis at the University of Auckland, um, and and he actually, I suppose, instilled in me that it's actually okay not to know stuff. 
because at the end of the day we can't know everything and so when I went into my oral presentation and they'd ask me questions that I didn't know the answer to I would feel quite comfortable saying actually I don't know and so there are times now in my business where people, and I literally had it earlier this week, um, somebody came to me and said, uh, Carl, can you do can you do this particular job for us? So I'm thinking, you know, on the one hand, it's a business opportunity, but on the other hand, I know that I, I, I'm going to struggle to do that job. And I actually, I actually openly admitted to that person, you know, uh, I would love the piece of work that you're offering, but I would be very much doing you a disservice because mm. I don't think that I would be able to do as good a job as the next person or, or another consultant in New Zealand or, or something like that. And it's been a few times that's actually happened and I don't feel bad about it. And, and so, and it's actually helped get rid of the whole imposter syndrome because at the end of the day, there's nothing so, there's nothing actually that bad with saying to somebody, I don't know. And yeah. for yeah. me, I may well say, you know, just to back it up, I don't know. But give me a bit of time to do a bit of reading up about it and i'll find out for you what's so bad about that there's yeah there's not and in fact i i personally i think i think um uh i think people actually appreciate that um so so you know the fact that you're willing to accept your limitations and you're willing to to do something about it i think is uh, goes a lot so for all those people that feel you know that they are an imposter well you know it's not that bad you know, no. if you don't know, in my opinion, it's it's fine. And we all, um, yeah, no, and I I absolutely agree. I think um, I I often find that if you turn around and have that sort of conversation and say, well, actually, no, that's not really my bag. Um, I could, like, say, I could probably find out about it, or mm. actually, I know somebody who is, um, and point them in the right direction. It it might not come back to you, you know, straight away, but I do find that uh, at some point karma does sort of come around in that that sort of thing. That um, no, I've had like, I've one business that way. Yeah, it's um, it, it it works, and it means that you focus on what you're good at, and um, and like you said, almost right from the up, because if you give them to somebody else who does specialise in that, then uh, yeah, it, it comes back comes back and plays. So talking about winning projects and that, what's the, you know, you've 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 had a rather uh, distinguished career, if, if I might say so, um, so far. Um, you've, um, you know, you've been president, you've got your PhD, you've got a successful business going, you've um, survived COVID um, in, bo in both the business sense and the um, and the personal sense. Um, what next? Where, where's what's the what's the challenge on the horizon? What's uh, what, what makes you get up in the morning at the moment? Well, I would very much like to be one of the new crew members on the on the first manned mission from space uh, through SpaceX. That'd well, be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately I, I I can't um I don't know I want to let you down gently because I'm first in the line if Damn. I start opening, start opening this up. Um, now unfortunately Elon has got a restraining order against me and I'm not allowed to tweet him anymore. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, the whole space thing is fascinating, isn't it? It's, it is. It is absolutely fascinating. The, the, the pushing the boundaries of that sort of thing. Uh, um, certainly what, what I was doing was uh, during the lockdown piece when they did the um, some of the um, the Dragon stuff to the uh, ISS, we had that on in the TV in the lounge and playing out in the uh, in the garden when we were watching that and um, seeing what seen obviously the, um, the the recent landing on Mars as well. Mm. I just think it opens up so much uh, so much opportunity. Um, though I 
apparently did make my children cry when I suggested that um, that I had also put their names down to be the first family to go to Mars. Um, and I, I said it's a bit of a joke. And um, but apparently, you know, my, my, um, this was, you know, say a year ago. And um, my youngest then was sort of 10 and he thought I was quite serious and wondered what he, how he was going to see all of his friends. Mm. Bless it. <laughs> but the interesting, the interesting thing is, is particularly with, um, I, I remember when I was in the UK and they had one of those evenings at the, in the UK's um, uh, Chartered Institutes uh, where you could go and see a speaker and it would help with your um, CPD points. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was when I was working at BAE and they actually had one of somebody that was doing work for NASA um, and they were looking at a whole broad range of ergonomics and human factors uh, aspects of it. But I think, um, I mean, and this is particularly relevant in New Zealand because we at the moment don't have manned space missions. Most of these space missions um, come from organisations like Rocket Lab um, and and generally they're, they're satellites uh, that are launched for a, a broad range of different customers. And and as uh, and it, and it's forced me to actually think. Well, it's not just about the astronaut or the cosmonaut that that goes up to space. There's actually a whole broad range of people that deals with the broader system of space yeah. operations. So you don't have to be sending people up up to space um, on the you know uh, with a rocket strapped to their back, so to speak. You know, th- there's actually people on the ground. There's engineering decisions that are made. There's command and control centers that are built. There's um, there's a whole raft, even even dare I say that the the legislation and the standards that are set, there's obviously a human factor, human element in there. And I know that I'm talking, you know, I'm I'm preaching to preaching to the converted here with your audience potentially, but the but for me it's um, you know it's it there's such a broader system to to the, obviously the, the 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 sexy and exciting notion of somebody going up there and landing on Mars that really needs to be considered and really needs to be focused on from a human factors and ergonomics point of view and, and I find it I find the whole area I mean I, I love you know looking at gazing up at the skies and looking at the stars and stuff like that so I have done most of my life um, but you know really I, I think that there's also so much more on the ground that we need to consider um, to make sure that a landing on Mars is successful you know, um, and I hope it does happen. Certainly, New Zealand. I, yeah, yeah I, I think it'd be amazing. I mean, even if they just wanted me to go and make the coffee, quite frankly, I'd go and make the coffee. Um, yeah. Carl, it's been an absolute joy to catch up with you. Um, thank you very oh, much for for taking the time out, and um, I hope next time we don't leave it leave it so long. And I do think there is possibly some work we can do in the future around. I think you know, let's look at the um, UK New Zealand collaboration and try and strengthen it and. Um, and see what we could do because I think clearly you're on the crest of um, quite an impressive wave in terms of where New Zealand is going and what what their future looks like, and um, and I think we we we've got a lot to learn by um, by collaborating. So, Carl, thank you very much, and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, a bit of pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Twelve O Two, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.